Hello, Maxine Simata Kavithit Kamraig, Ryan and Rob. Hi, Maxine here, Ryan and Rob's Welsh translator. The Hing Grando are Podlidiad Newith, Fearless in Devotion. You're listening to Fearless in Devotion, a new podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Here they come, our mighty champions. Raise your voices to the anthem. Marching like a mighty army. Wrexham is the name. So welcome to the latest edition of Fearless in Devotion, the Wrexham FC podcast. There's a lot to talk about and we've got a really good special guest coming up later. I mean, I was going to sort of try and tease it, but you already probably know who the guest is because it's on the uh, it's on the front of this podcast. But let's just put let's just say Jay Harris was great value. Right. Before we do anything, Tim, picture the scene. You're on death row for killing Richard Brody with his own skied penalty. For your final meal, where would you order it from and what would you get? Oh, now you're asking. I mean, to take out such a high-profile villain as Brody, has got to be a high-profile restaurant and local eatery in the local area. So I'd probably go for something along the lines of the Fat Boar. They seem to do decent death row meals from what I can gather. So, yeah, I reckon the Fat Boar would do me nicely. All the trimmings. Um, the Richard Bo- Brody Burger, whatever that may be, but I imagine it'd be quite high. <laughs> uh, you, you will die happy, Tim. Yeah. Right, you may have noticed that Reese isn't introducing this. This is because Reese Williams is on holiday at the moment. I don't know where a South Wales would go on holiday. Murphy Tidwell, a power station. Any ideas? Or a basement in Austria. Who knows? He can't get any signal whatsoever, according to him. So. We don't know where he's gone, um, but we hope you're safe and well, young Reese Mohammed. If you um, if you have been fritzled, we 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 apologise to to your family. Um, right, uh, let's get straight to it. Tim, me and you went yesterday. Uh, two all draw felt a bit like a defeat, but on reflection, you would probably have taken a point beforehand, wouldn't you? Yeah, I'd say so. We've got a lousy record there, and you know, based on that showing. Solihull are not going to be mugs um, in this division once again. Very, very astute football inside. I'd love to know what the possession stats were because we had very, very little of the ball. Um, but yeah, it, it, it felt like a defeat. You know, it was so close to, to the three points. Did we did we deserve the pre- three points? No. Did we deserve a point? Barely. So, you know, based on that, you'll take it all day long, I think. I mean... Let's look at the positives. I thought Hayden was a class apart at the back. He read the danger, nipped in, got got the ball, played it, played it wisely. I mean, obviously Jones scored a, a worldie, but I think we'll come on to the midfield in a little bit. The the key person who really excited me was Mullin. You know, we've got a clever, lively person there who doesn't he doesn't waste anything you know what I mean he's always in and about he's always in the referee's ear he's always in on the shoulder of the defender he he looks like he wants the ball and he looks like he knows what to do with it now the next sort of thing is how how are we going to improve the side Liam have you heard any sort of transfer rumors about who we might be might be bringing in it's gone from being practically nothing for the best part of a week to within the last 24 hours it's just gone completely nuts um, linked with bids uh, in most cases for players from League One and Two, mixture of midfielders and defenders. I think probably the most exciting one I've seen is Ben Toza, uh, Cheltenham Town's captain. 
got promoted with him fairly recently and apparently he's got an absolutely wicked throw on him. Um, also, Callum Guy from our good friends at Carlisle. I'm sure we could expect a, uh, a good video if that came through. Um, and James Jones at Lincoln's another one. So he's another midfielder. I think he played for Tramir at some point. So, yeah, it's, it's gone absolutely nuts. Another one I want to add to that, um, Adam Woodyard at uh, Wimbledon. Now, I've talked to my Wimbledon snout about this, this fella. Apparently, he's brilliant. He's great. He's the club captain. He's got two years on his le- on, on, left on his deal. You know, he is by far their talisman. Now, he, this guy thinks that it would take at least 300 grand to get him mm. and would, he would want 500 for him. He also thinks he's wages wise, he's on the three grand a week mark, and he would think to move all the way up there, we'd probably have to double it. Um, I don't know if that's going to come off, but it's good that we'll be in link with creative players. Tim, from what you saw at the midfield yesterday, do we need another creator or do we need an enforcer stroke sort of defensive dominant midfielder? What midfield yesterday? I cry because once again, you know. A lot of the uh, a lot of the Solihull play completely bypassed any midfield we had. So we need a bit of both. We need somebody to dictate play. Somebody who's got that vision. Jones has got the vision, but he's not got the the legs anymore. Kind of, especially similar to Ferguson. He's got that guile about him, and he'll, he'll and he'll come in and do a job. Will he put? Will he start more games? Probably not. Once we get the right players into the mix, he's probably going to come on as a, as an effective substitute. But we need a bit of both. We, we just need somebody who's going to dictate the game and not 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 allow us to sit back. We we sat back far too deep yesterday, countless times, and we, we sort of defending defending a lead like our lives depending on it, which is just a daft way of looking at it, especially the first game of the season. So we need somebody with a bit of cut and thrust who can go forward, have the vision, and pick the right passes. And have we got anybody in that mould yet? No, probably not. Not, not in the here and now. You know, Jordan Davis is, is, is still a, a work in progress, and he'll he'll come good. But we need somebody alongside him that can that can help bring him on. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious that the midfield is is the the bone of contention at the moment. And you know, Phil Parkinson said as much. It's just now he has to cast his eye over the defensive aspect as well. With we obviously Reese Hall Johnson now looking as an extended spell on the sidelines. Hopefully we get Brisley back soon as well. So it'd be kind of one in one out situation, but yeah, early blows already. Tell you what, that Reesold Johnson, if there's any part of the team you didn't want a long-term injury, it's right wing back because we don't really have anyone there. Obviously French can do a job, but I see him more as a defensive player. I think he could do quite well in that role away from home, but I think at home you want someone to really force the issue. I wonder if he might bring someone in on the loan market. It's been very, very quiet that on that front. And, you know, we do have, we do have a lot of options there, especially if we've got links with, you know, the likes of, I don't know, I'm just saying Liverpool maybe through Peter Moore. I'm just putting that out there. I don't really know, but hopefully, you know, that could be an avenue we explore. Right, before we get on to Jay Harris, who's got a lot of very interesting things to say, we've got an email. The email is from Griffin Welshpool. He's... He says, how are you, lads? I eagerly anticipate your show each week. Keep up the sterling work. Two questions. Do we need a new goalkeeper, someone to challenge Leighton? Second, this is to the journalists amongst you. What are the rules for using the word and after a comma? Can I start on the second one? 
Yes, you definitely can. Yeah. Never. Absolutely never. Keep your language as simple as possible. If you are forcing someone to read and then reread a sentence because you put too much punctuation in it, you've already lost the reader. So do not use and after a comma. I'm Anyone else want to come in on that? Oh, I'm with you. Good. Oh, that's unanimous. Unanimous. Right. Liam, goalkeeper. Um, yeah, I, th I think we definitely need someone. I mean, someone was laughing at the timing of my um, tweet, but I think it was about three minutes in when Dibble <laughs> scared us for the first time this season when the ball slipped past him. Um, but I don't know, necessarily know if we need a permanent signing. As you mentioned, perhaps the loan market's the place to go for a keeper where we've had... Yeah, we, we've actually done all right on, in terms of loanee keepers over the years. We had Dan Bachman and... Uh, Kevin Wilkin, who I noticed yesterday was playing the Premier League first team. So, yeah, I think I think loan market's the one to go for that. Interesting. I wonder if you loan a keeper, you, you, you're sort of forced to play them and would that displace the likes, likes of Leighton? Anyway, Tim, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't think um, Polish Dave is the, is the man to, to sort of keep Dibble on his toes. But I'd say we don't know a great deal about him, do we? We just feel he's like the third choice backup, and that's that, really. Um, yeah, I mean, we all we all sort of looked on in horror as the ball squirmed. He was always going to reach it anyway before it went over the line. Obviously, it was it was kicked away, but you know, we all know he's got a bit of an error in him. He must. I just feel like he must have improved, and Butler will have him on his toes as well. But yeah, I don't know. I think, I think maybe maybe we do need somebody to to push him because as soon as Leighton's out. He knows he's in. So is he complacent? You'd like to think not. However, I don't know. I just, I've always given Dibble the benefit of doubt. I think he's a really, really good shot stopper, really good penalty stopper, fairly decent in the air. But is he, is he the, the player for high pressure games? There's even more pressure in every game we play now. I'm not, not so sure. I've always thought concentration with Dibble. I mean, I mean, the sort of the most more generous of us would say that maybe Dibble did enough to take the pace off that shot yesterday. Who oh, would say such a thing? <laughs> um, I, I I would like to see us get a new keeper in. Um, as, but I think the key for me is how long is Rob Layton out? I, I, we haven't really had any firm communication on it. So some sources are suggesting it might be a while. If it is a while, we've got a lot. Of, we've got a lot of. We've got a lot of games coming up. I think we should probably look to bring someone in, and maybe, as Liam said, even if it's only for over two or three months, that might that might tide us through. Right. Anyway, another man with a lot of big opinions. Let's go on to Jay Harris. We finally got him. We've been chasing Jay Harris like a referee with a card in his hand from the third minute of any game, but we finally pinned him down. A non-league midfield legend with two spells and over 200 games, probably about 300 yellow cards, but we won't dwell on the other clubs. Do you know, Jay, that the lads in the paddock had a bet about when you get booked each game? I like the sound of that. I think some of them were on a, a bung. That's why I was doing it. <laughs> I was going to say, did you have a bet? Uh, did you have a bet yourself? But I thought I'd, I'd gloss over that subject. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's a bit of a touchy subject that one. But yeah, no, that was just the way I was. You know what I mean? It was I was wholehearted, and 
f- from a kid, so the saying goes, I just used to love to smash people and hear people. And I think that, that that's where obviously the yellow cards come in. And sometimes <laughs> I, sometimes I've just seen the red mist and before you know it, someone's six foot up in the air and I've got a yellow card or a red card. <laughs> But, um, I mean, that was always been a part of your game because you started at Everton, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that, that was it. Obviously, I was at Everton and back then you're talking, what was that, 18 years back or something like that, yeah. probably longer, 20 years back. Uh, and it was, it was a different mentality than it is now. It's it's rough and tumble. We had the likes of Gravison, Carsley, Joseph Yobo. We had players like that and David Weir. Mm. And it was nasty and kick and kick or be kicked type type thing and as a young kid coming through you had to stamp your authority I was never gifted talently against players like that but I had to impose myself in fitness wise aggression and, and tackling because at the end of the day I'm about four foot anyway so <laughs> I, I had to I had to smash people and back then it was acceptable a two foot tackle was acceptable uh, and and the manager at the time and assistants, Moise, Irvine and the old, they love stuff like that. So that was how I grew up and, and how I was taught type. Yeah. Right. As I said to you earlier, we're going to do this a little bit differently. So <coughs> what we usually do is go through like a, a chronological order of your Wrexham career. We're still going to probably do that, but we've had so many questions for you. We're going to do it via, via fans questions. So Shawnee Price is the first, first up. And he says, I need to know about Saunders, the manager. He sounds a right laugh. He also adds, why did you sign for Wrexham, Jay? Uh, well, I was signed for Wrexham, obviously. I was, I was at Wrexham at the time, and then obviously I got, I got, I got banned, obviously, which is, mm. which is common knowledge, world knowledge. Uh, funny story about that. I was, I was actually away with my missus at the time. And uh, obviously, back then, you used to buy the papers, didn't you? And uh, so I bought, I think it was the uh, News of the World, and here I am, middle spread, banned. And I'm thinking, you could have told me that I was banned. I'm in, Cy- I'm in Cyprus reading the paper, like, you're 12-month ban. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. But, <laughs> you know, it, it, like, I can look back now, and it's a funny story. And, like, at the time, obviously, it's devastating. But I look back now, and I'm thinking, you know what? I'd never change it because it's it's sort of created the character I am and the person I am. And I probably would never have had a time at Wrexham if that wouldn't have happened. Because what, mm. what happened then is obviously Mangy, Andrew Mangan, good mate of mine, my band was coming to the end and uh, he said, do you want me to speak to Saunders for you? I said, please, yeah. Uh, and I can, I can remember it like it was yesterday. He said, come in, train a couple of days. We actually went away. Uh, where did we go? I don't think it was Aberystwyth. I think it was somewhere else. I was, uh, bear in mind, I was, still, I was still banned at the time, so I weren't allowed to, the sort of all secret, top secret. Come in. Uh, Come on tour with the lads, got to meet all the lads. We played, I remember it, uh, Liverpool reserves at the time. We drew 1-1 at the race course. And like, obviously, race course on the lights, first experience of it, I was like, oh my God. And to be fair, I must have done well because the next day being sworn was rang, he said, come in, we're signing you. And that is why I signed for Wrexham. Yeah. One, it was and Andrew Mangan and Dean Saunders, a big part of playing it. Yeah. So tell us a bit more about Saunders then. Um, we, we've heard some tales, mostly that he's batshit. Can you <laughs> confirm or deny that? He, he is. He is incredible. In terms of banter, you know, we used to have Andrew Mangan. Andrew Mangan used to try and cash everyone off saying he had money and stuff like that. And like these are like the things Dean Saunders would say. He'd be like, go on, Mangan, go and get your wages there. It's in the ashtray in the car. 
And you know, stuff like that. Uh, honest, honest to God, I remember he's got a place up in, oh, I forget where it is. He's got like a holiday. Clint did know. Clint did know. Uh, no, what are like the, the moors and that called up there? Like the, the Oh, uh, right, yeah, yeah. You know, what, you know what I mean, whatever it's called. So we were driving up, me and Mangy jumped in his ear, he had the X5 at the time. He had like two bags, it must have been 10, 20 grand just on his back seat in like clear bags. And me and Mangy was like looking at yeah. like, what's this fella doing? I don't even know if you knew they were there. But honestly, <laughs> like he was just, ev- everything that come out of his mouth was, it was it was just funny. But that, that was him. And like, he didn't know any other way. He was just, as a player, I would have loved to play with him and been in the same changes because he was a scream. Honest to, honest to God, I wouldn't have him any other way. He was, he was incredible. And he was, he was part of the reason why he was so successful under him because everyone just just got on with him. In terms of what you're saying then about him being quite an infectious character and getting everybody on side and being one of the lads, but knowing where to draw the line, I guess. What, I mean, I don't want to focus too much on the negative, but why do you think it kind of went wrong for him after Exxon? Because obviously after that, with Doncaster, Wolves and so on, it was just... It was just a last lack of success thereafter. Is that? Do you think that's because of a a lack of a similar bond in in a, in a different changing room, or is it was it just the right place at the right time for you and him? Uh, I think with us, it was right place, right time. Uh, listen, Dean Saunders as a coach was incredible. Man to manager, incredible. His attention detail was was something else, and obviously you could see that on the pitch when we played. But when he went to Wolves and Donny, I, I couldn't really put a finger on it, but. With us, we accepted, obviously, we were at a level for a, for a reason. Uh, maybe he just clashed with bigger personalities, we were on bigger money, and obviously maybe had a, 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 it was type of an ego clash because Dean Saunders did have an ego, but in every right, because he played at the top level. He'd been at clubs like Liverpool, I think he was at Fenerbahce, Benfica, the team, you know what I mean? So maybe it was an ego clash, and I, don't, I, don't, I honestly don't know, but I just don't see how... He didn't succeed knowing what I knew about him. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It, was, it was a strange. I thought he did. I thought he would have done well at Wolves, but I believe he was sort of at the carpet pull from underneath him with funds. I think he was promised one thing and, and got another. So I, I don't really know the details, but I, I was I was quite surprised that he didn't succeed. To be honest. Is it true that he used to um, rate all the players after a five-a-side match and always rate himself the highest? <laughs> Yeah, we used to have, I don't know whether you remember Mark Curry. I think Mark, has Mark yeah. passed yeah. now, is he? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And he, so we used to do like young, young, the old or whatever. And he used to come in with this little sheet and go, not my words, lads, Mark Curry's. And he, he'd go through the team like Curtis Hobing, shite. <laughs> and then if like, if like uh, say for instance, his team lost, he'd go, this is not my words, lads. Uh, Dean Saunders, best player on the pitch, but couldn't deal with the shite around him. <laughs> Honestly, honest God, and they were little things that, that kept us together. And he used to come in every, I think we used to do that every Friday. And he used to come in, and like one week it'd be like, so like a crater Carlin, but it'd been a sell by date of like two years gone. And like he'd go, What happened, lads? I was walking down the corridor in the house, and I seen this door, I've never seen it before, and I just opened it, and there's stuff in there. And he, he used to just, honestly, God, some of the banter, he'd be like, On the West Wing, I've got five doors. and all of a sudden, I seen a sixth door, and they were like his little banter's obviously about money and what, what, his wealth and stuff like that. But it was all just fucking jest. It was it was great laugh, honestly. 
Right. So next question from Neil Barlow is a single word. It is just avarice with exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Hmm. So, John, I don't know how you want, <laughs> I want me to answer that one because uh, we've had a few eventful times there. Uh, was there one that particularly stood out? Uh, well, I, I'll tell you the story. This is funny. Don't mind me, me saying it. Obviously, we said when we went there, we had a, 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 like a communal kitchen, and then each, each we all had our own rooms. And it was like me, Leon Klaus, Johnny Hunt. Uh, Ashy, uh, there's probably someone else in there along the way, and uh, we, we were that bored. We had a few drinks, we, we played a bit of the uh, cards, so we started doing little days and stuff like that. And one of the funniest things I've ever seen is we got a bog roll, and Leon Klaus put it in between his, his ass cheeks, and we set it on fire. And you got this Leon Klaus, big shit out running around this kitchen with a lit bog roll between his bum cheeks. Honest <laughs> to God. Some of the stuff we got up to, you just... One, I can't say half of them, but two, that was just like... That was like the, the bottom of how extreme it got. So to say, but yeah, it was a, it was a laugh. But the stories think the saying is, what's, what, what's happens in Aberystwyth stays in Aberystwyth. Yeah, I've, I've, a lot of people have said that. But they've told us what really happened after. So maybe when we turn the oh, yeah, uh, yeah. we turn the microphones off, we'll put it yeah. on Twitter, everyone. Uh, <laughs> right, next one is from Stuart Harris and Mansfield away Thunderbolt. What was the feeling like when that ball hit the back of the net? Ah, uh, you know what? I, I actually I remember it. It was obviously I think they were up there as we were up there as well at the time, wasn't we? And. Yeah, uh, I, I think I can't remember how late on it was. I think it was two two at the time, and mm-hmm. Curtis Olbing. We, we knew Curtis obviously used the throwing. Dean Saunders loved the throwing, and uh, Curtis threw it in. And I, th- I think one of their defenders or Kreitzer ended it out, and it just fell to me nicely on the edge. And obviously back then I could strike a ball, and I, and I've just thought there's only one one place this is going, and I volleyed it, and it took a slight deflection, deflection which made it look ten times better into the top corner, but. Obviously, you can see. I don't know. You can see. You, you can see it back. And the celebration. I've gone over to the bench, and it weren't just the eleven. It was the the five on the bench. It was the the medical staff. Everyone was there. That's how closely closely knit group we was. But to score a goal like that, and the importance of it in terms of going for the the title at the time and playoffs, uh, it was it was unbelievable. Can I? Sorry, just, the noise is probably unbearable. I'm in a cafe in Bridgend, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna talk much at all. I might have to leave after like ten minutes, but I just thought I'd pop my head in. But um, that goal, you'd you'd hit the bar with another screamer like five minutes before, if you remember. Yeah. And um, I just thought I'd let you know. It's probably irrelevant to you, but I was listening to that game the last ten minutes after I saw the equaliser got in. I was in a in a pub in Swansea. I was trying to listen on Radio Wales and I couldn't hear it, so I had to go to the car park. And when that winner went in, I was just dancing around the car park of uh, the uh, it was the Dunvant pub in Swansea on my own. Just thought I'd let you know you made me very happy that day as well. <laughs> That's good. Glad to know that. <laughs> uh, the next question from Geraint Knott leads on from that. He asks, "How many balls have you burst with your Exocet-like long shots?" 
is that by kicking it over the fence in training and bursting it by getting <laughs> run over by a car? But... Yeah, you could change burst to lost, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, geez. Uh, you know what? It, it, it was never a, a, a an ability of mine to. It, it, it was basically off the cuff. I was never one of them that people are like, oh, he's, he's got he's got a great long shot or whatever. It was always instinctive. And majority of the time, I, I could probably name a handful now when it's felt to me in that area. I've always backed my ability, but I've never been known for long shots. I may, I may do now because of what I've scored, but back then, it was never... It was all instinctive, and <laughs> there's probably another 10 occasions where you've got Kitty and Ashley saying to me, Jay, what the fuck are you doing? You've just hit a out for a throw-in or something. But we, we only remember the ones that go in the back of the net. I don't know where to begin with the goals. I mean, we've all lost count of the amount of decent screamers you've scored. Just uh, just on that one, have you, have you got a, a particular standout favourite that we haven't discussed goal-wise that whether it's a screamer or something else, is there anything that, that you think, you know what, that was one of my favourites for the club? Uh, probably, I'll, I'll probably go back to my first goal. I think it was Southport at home. It was a scrappy one. I think Mozart had a shot and the goalies deflected it out to me and, I, and I've, I've just it in. Obviously, that's that's uh, my first goal for the club, so that was that was special. But obviously, it's got to be the. I know we lost at Wembley at the time, but my goal at Wembley, uh, I thought it was good good build up play. Obviously, it snuck on uh, around the back and took a touch, and it was a nice finish. But to score a goal at Wembley for a club like Wrexham, <laughs> unbelievable, unbelievable feeling. You're probably going to ask me about my bad old one, yeah? Yeah, that wasn't bad either, was it? <laughs> No, no, that was all right. But but that goes back to it was instinctive. I think my mate Paul Rutherford actually, I keep reminding of it. He's actually the guy that misclears it to me. <laughs> so I always say to him, well, thanks for that assist. But yeah, at the moment at left and foot, I knew it's going in the top corner. That's probably the best ball I've ever struck in my life. That Rebus is probably claiming that as a Wrexham assist out to his tally. <laughs> yeah, it, you know what? He probably has. You know what he's like. Right. Next question is from a guy on Twitter called Beardy. He says, beside riding the human bicycle at Wembley, what was your best moment at Wrexham? First off, what's the human bicycle at Wembley? <laughs> we, we, we actually done it a... Is it the Harlem Shake? We done the Harlem oh, Shake. Oh, yeah. Christ, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about yeah. that. So, so what, what happened is, obviously, we had Beast Camp, and uh, I've still got Beast Camp now, the DVD. Obviously, Christ was injured at the time. We took everything... He took it, the camera around everywhere with him and he showed everyone what happens behind the scenes of a footballer, really, or, or the football scene. And uh, we went to Wembley the day before and we said, let's do the Harlem Shake because it was big at the time. And uh, Mozart said, but it's not coming out. If you get beat, it's not going on the video. It's not going out. Obviously, we won. And it was like, get the Harlem Shake out there. <laughs> and uh, we had an absolute scream doing it. It must took about five, six uh, cut doing it because Joe Clark was laughing because he was the fella that started it off and then we were like we don't like that let's do this and then I think it was me Riles and someone else was a human bike I was riding it yeah in the undies that was, that was a good laugh there was but so that, much so much going on in that video I had to watch it about well 20 times to figure out who was where who it was who yeah. somebody was in like the, the sort of the overspill Kitsman box and kept them pe- peeking their head out and I can't remember who it was. I don't know whether that was Trigger. Was it Trigger? I can't remember. It might Probably, have been yeah. Definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, can't remember. Brack was making a brew, wasn't he, I think? <laughs> yeah, well, that's all yeah, we've done. We had Keatsy, obviously, Dean in the, in the bin, floating around. It, honest <laughs> to God, it, it, it was a laugh, but obviously what made it even better was <laughs> was the victory, so we could, we could show everyone, obviously, 
the character of the group and how closely knit we was. So would you say that victory was your best moment in a Wrexham shirt? Just taking home the, you know, the trophy, the, you know, everything about how hard it was for Wrexham fans to get down there. First time at Wembley, probably one of my emotional, most emotional moments being a Wrexham well, fan. Well, it, it, it has to be, obviously. One, it was at Wembley. Two, we took that many people down. And I think the previous time Wrexham had reached Wembley, I think it was the LDD, was it? Wasn't Which is, that was at um, Cardiff, so we'd never been to Wembley. Also, that, that weren't even there. So, yeah, I think it was just a sort of historic moment for the club in, in, in itself. And to be part of that, as I say, it was unbelievable. And even more sweeter, we, we got the victory. So I'd have to say that's the standout moment for me. We, we, we heard about the, um, the post-match um, after-party at the Holt Lodge from Rich Watkins a few a few weeks ago. I'm not sure as much you can add to that, to be honest. It was quite riotous by all accounts. Yeah, it seems to be me at the forefront of all that. I don't know, I don't know what I was doing in me in my early days, but I was a bit of a party animal. Uh, we, we had a laugh. I think Moz would probably tell you, I was swinging one of Moz's kids around the time, and, I, and honest to God, she was always an inch away from smashing her head on a pillow. <laughs> but... Honestly, like I can't even tell you the stuff what was going on there because it was just carnage. And then I do remember we went to the club, I think I might have been called Cruise, and there was the DJ. I ended up DJing in the box, but I nearly got through up because I tried to climb over the box into the DJ box onto the dance floor, but it's about a 20-foot drop. <laughs> so I had two bouncers grab onto me, and then obviously, because obviously what we'd done, we were heroes that night, uh, he just let me continue and DJing, which was very bad, by the way, but... It was all fun. <laughs> Classic. What was the first song you span? Was was there any any particular? <sighs> I honestly couldn't tell you. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. I know it was round anyway. Coffee days. <laughs> right, David Jackson's next up, and he's got a very, very to the point question. Jay, why did you leave us for Tranmere? <laughs> to, to be honest, I, th- I thought for me, I'd had. I think it was three, possibly four good years. Uh, it just sort of fizzled out to come to the end. There was no there was no investment in the squad, in the staff around the place. Uh, obviously, Sammy being a local club, Gary Brabham had tried to sign me twice while I was my time at Wrexham. Uh, I think Gary Mills come in at the time as well, said he'd build a team around me. I just... I just thought it was the right move for me at the right time. I just thought Wrexham had fizzled out. Uh, not the love of the club, but the ambition of the club. Or not, not so much the club, the, the people behind the scenes, whether that be money or whatever it was. And I just thought, for, for my own career, I need to do this. Uh, and, and that was the reason why I left. Can you think of any sort of specific examples where you thought, well, you know, why couldn't you stretch to that? You know, is it anything in terms of off the pitch or it might be player investment? Well, obviously, we had a, a very good mate. He still has a good mate of mine, Mozzer. Mozzer was the, the manager at the time. And that for us, a lot of, especially the senior players that ate, uh, especially what, he, what he'd done for the club. And although we were on a bit of a bad run, but that, that happens. And we were finding out stuff that was going on behind the scenes and... <sighs> We were after certain players and we wouldn't stretch an extra fiver to get them and other clubs were getting them and it ends up kicking you in the arse basically and 
know, when you're looking at that and you're thinking, well, where are we going from here then? And you've gone from Saunders to success, Mozart, obviously Wembley, and then we bring in Kevin Wilkin at the time. And then obviously that season, Peter's out fucking so bad. Uh, and Gary Mills coming in, no disrespect to Gary Mills because he was unbelievable at Gateshead. Uh, I just thought for me and my future, it, it had to go. I, I had to go. And I don't know, I think, I think we were trying to sign Christian Jolly who at the time for Newport was unbelievable. That didn't happen. Then we started bringing players in and we had youth team players like Tomo, Steve-O and I just don't think they were ready at the time and they were through in the deep end. Whereas we'd gone from having a 30-man squad who were all experienced players at this level. You're talking your Danny Wright, your Jake Spates, your, your Kreitz, your Nat Knight Percival. And we were, we were losing players like Fowles, Curtis and we just we just weren't replacing them and we were getting weaker and for me my ambition I wanted to win stuff and I, I needed to move on that that was that was it really was there an emotional pull for you in terms of Trammy because I think I remember reading that you'd been to watch them as a kid and stuff as well it, there was emotional pull obviously the, the, the three in my area Liverpool, Samuel and, and Everton uh Never going to play for Liverpool or Everton. Samuel was the big club for me. I'd seen a couple of Friday night games, stuff like that, which was electric as a fan. Uh, if if Wrexham's board or whoever was on at the time would have been more ambitious, I would have stayed because it was it was so deep in my heart that the club. I, I loved it. I, I was sadly even, but I was going on to another good uh, journey. Uh, Evidently, uh, but yeah, if there was a bit more ambition, I, w- I would have stayed on the Gary Mills because I love the I love the style of play. But for me, I wanted to go and play ambitious Gary Brabin, uh, who I've got a good relationship with. So, as I say, I I have to leave for me honestly. Right, Matt Thomas is next up, and he takes us full circle. He said, "What made Jay re-sign for the second time? Did Keats <laughs> promise to mould a team around him, and what did he think he could add to the side?" Uh, in terms of why I came back obviously when I'd left Wrexham me and Keith were always close mates, close mates anyway I'd spoke to him all the time and he was sort of my mentor growing up through Wrexham I always looked up to Keatsy. Uh so if, if I was ever in need of anything I'd, I'd give him a call and say what do you think of this what should I do and at the time I was at Macclesfield uh, we were actually doing alright in League 2 Obviously, there was issues around the place uh, concerning money. Uh, I was actually getting paid, but what I was doing, I was helping, I was causing trouble inside the camp, speaking to the owner on a daily basis, trying to get all the other lads their money. Uh, so, obviously, it was, the owner disliked me because I was kicking up a bit of a stink. Uh, and at the time, Daryl had left, Daryl McMahon gone to Dagenham, obviously, because of all the issues, and I got re- really well with Daryl. And Mark Kennedy come in and for some reason just did not take a liking to me whatsoever. Uh, I remember one game, you won't even believe this, we played Newport away. He's written his team sheet down on the, the board. He put everyone's name on the team and just put me as a number eight. I hadn't even spoken a word to him. So my relationship with the manager at the time was a bit sour for, for no apparent reason. Whether he'd been preempt from the owner or what, I don't know. And then Keatsy come in and rang me, he's like, do you fancy it? And I, 
<laughs> obviously at the time things weren't going well Macclesfield so I thought you know what I, I love the club and to be honest I, when Kitty signed me I thought signed an 18 month deal I thought I'll probably see me days out here because I know I've got something to offer in terms of ability wise and uh, experience and helping helping uh, the younger lads like even like Youngie and Jordan Davis uh, and obviously they were, in a, they were in a dog fight at the time and the the start of my career at Accrington, I was in a dogfight and that was me. That's what brought up the best in me, the nastiness. And I thought, you know what? I can help this and, and hopefully the season after we can turn the journey around because we had an 18-month deal and we were so close. But I think that, that's what made me come back. One, the club and the experience and two, a sort of, have I got unfinished business? Can I get us out of this league? And then two, obviously, Kitty being a, a very good mentor and friend of mine. That actually leads us quite nicely onto our next question from Jord. He said, when we lost 3-2 last minute against Chesterfield, he came over to the fans and said, stick with us, even though he believed it. Did, did you believe in that squad at that time? And did you realise how much trouble Wrexham could have been in? And I knew how much trouble they were in. I had to go over to the fans. Uh, one, because I'd seen all the shit that had gone on previously with previous managers and, and the club. The club didn't deserve the position where they was at the time. And I know how much the, the, the club means to the fans. And I thought, you know what? We need to bridge this gap again between the players and the fans. It, it sort of become a big gulf. And it, it happens. If you're not doing well, the fans are on your back. So I thought, you know what? We need to gulf this. Me being a senior pro, I've been here before. I know what the fans need and want. And at the time, no, we wasn't good enough. And we, we didn't deserve, we, we possibly didn't deserve to stay up from the whole of the season because they wasn't good enough. Uh, luckily enough, we did stay up and it was one of them. It was like, you know what, get behind us now and, and let's see what we can do this season. And we were better, but as I said, we wasn't good enough. But as I say, I'll, I'll always have that. No matter where I am, I'll always have a good relationship with Wrexham fans because, like I say at the club, the club, I owe the club a lot. One, it got me back into football and two, the appreciation the fans showed me and, and the love, uh, it, it's mutual with the direction fans. I, I love them and I love the club. In terms of that season, you know, it, it was a pretty disappointing one. Um, the way it ended was a bit um, weird. Was there sort of a, you know, a regroup after that in terms of what, what was Dean saying in the summer? Did Dean get the summer? The, 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 the summer just now or the summer previous? No, no, the one, the one before, yeah. Well, previously, well, it, it, it was a case of <laughs> we've stayed up, we've stayed up, we've done what we needed to do. Uh, the dean come in the back end of uh, who was the manager? Uh, uh, Brian Hughes. Brian Hughes. Uh, yeah, obviously Brian Hughes players, stuff like that. He had to get rid of a few, got a few in, and it was a case of we've stayed up now. Can we build and and, and go forward and? I know. I said. I said. I had a few conversations with people, and you can't go from bottom of the league, not <laughs> lucky, lucky to stay in the league to go and win the league. Although Wrexham fans think they've got the define right because they are Wrexham. We at the time been in that league for I think it was 13, 14 years. So from to go from bottom of the league to scraping and staying up to go and win the league and get playoffs was unrealistic. As Wrexham, yeah, it should be. From previous seasons, no, you've got no defined right. And 
I think it was a progress. I said, I said, any sort of progression, top half, is a progression. And we build from that as a club. Uh, and we did, we missed out on playoffs for whatever reason. But I think it was a, a, right, a right step and progression from the previous season. But hopefully now they can, they can kick on that a little bit more, whether that be playoffs or, or win the league. But I think each, each pre-season is exactly the same. It's, here's our ambition and here's what we need to do. It doesn't matter who's saying it, who's the playing staff, who's the, the actual behind-the-scenes staff. Wrexham as a football club has to be contenders every single season. I was going to ask... We had um, Ruthers and Ashley on the podcast recently, as you know, and, and what was really obvious through speaking to them was, you know, they were working class lads from a working class area who got what it meant for the fans. Did you ever have sort of players in the squad that you feel didn't get it and that used to frustrate you guys and frustrate some of the other players and there was a, like a bit of a clash in that way? Listen, every team you're playing from when I started at Wrexham and then left and come back, you're always going to get a clash because not everyone is hardworking, but they sort of you can you can sort of smooth over that with ability or goal scoring or, or clean sheets or whatever it may be. But yeah, each my first year back, my first season back, obviously I'm looking at some of the lads and I'm thinking, you don't deserve to put a Wrexham shirt on. One, just because of your attitude alone. If if last season there was lads that would have got swallowed up if we would have had the fans in the stadium. Uh, and I think that was a big part of the the not success because if we would have had fans in the stadium, we would have found out certain players' characters. Do they go under or do they thrive on it? Because I used to thrive on on the energy of, of Wrexham fans. Uh, and I, I know a lot of players did. Uh, I, th- I think it could have been a different story with fans but yeah you're right what you're saying is Wrexham is a hard working town and that needs to replicate in the team because first and foremost you've got to give 100% one for the club and two for the fans because they're paying and then anything after that ability wise is a bonus next question is from Jonah does Jay feel he got a fair crack of the whip in the second second spell I mean, he goes on to say, you know, he came in before the season was abandoned and seemed like a, a real pivotal player, uh, but then let go of the season after. Clearly, he's still got a pedigree and had those successful seasons at Tranmere. Do you think you could have got another season at Wrexham? I'm a, I'm a young 34-year-old. Uh, my ambition is massive. and I'm not just on the pitch. I can help people off the pitch. Uh, I was very vocal in the changes when I come back and I think I've still got a lot more to offer. Uh, for whatever reason, I weren't. Uh, I'll have a conversation with you afterwards about that. But uh, I, yeah, I, I think I had, I had well more to offer. Uh, have Wrexham replaced me? You'll be the judge of that. Uh, but yeah, I don't think I did get a fair crack of the whip. One, for me, the massive thing is I wanted to play back in front of the fans. And as I've told you before, it, it, it's hard because I thrive on the energy and, and stuff like that. And most of the games, I don't care who you are, Premier League, you've seen the results in the Premier League. I don't care who you are. If the fans aren't there, it doesn't feel real. And it, do, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean enough to some people when the fans aren't there because 
you get beat 5-0, the fans are on your back. You, you know you've done something wrong. I had players in my team walking off thinking it was acceptable to get beat at certain games and speak because no disrespect to some of the lower teams. We got beat by some lower teams. I think it was it was at home early doors in the white kit. I can't even remember. I think we got beat 1-0 it was on telly. Maidenhead? Oh, yeah. Maidenhead, Maidenhead. yeah. Some players were walking off the pitch going, yeah, I've done well. I was thinking, you've just been fucking beat by Maidenhead. Come on, with Wrexham. And... I think the fans would have let people know. Don't get me wrong, I let the players know myself when we got behind closed doors, but that was the acceptance of it and, and that mediocrity sort of crept in because there was times when they were thinking, fucking hell, is he going on again? But that was that was my drive and ambition. I, I, I'm a winner. And it's what you said before, it was you're looking at players and thinking you don't deserve to belong here. I, I, I heard somewhere um, that Parkinson apparently asked Paul Mullin, do you know, do you know any experienced lads that we can bring in? We're, we're a bit lacking that area. And Paul Mullin said, yeah, Jay Harris, you released him a couple of months ago. This is obviously, I spoke to Moles, we're friends with Moles, and he, and he, he gave me a call actually to say, would you come back? And I said, yeah, no, I would, but obviously that's not, that, that's not for you or for me to decide. Uh, and this is what I don't get. Phil Parkin wasn't the manager at the time when players were released. So, if you forget about me, we had Theo Vassell and uh, Kells, Fichter Callagher, both centre-half them very well. Kells has just gone to Bradford. Obviously, uh, Theo's injured at the minute. Two players that were getting bought in January just gone. And then the club released them. And then now a new manager comes in asking, where where are the centre-halves? And you wonder... Who's making the decisions here and how's this gonna gonna pan out and does this place become a circus and uh, uh, end up with obviously the documentary taking power and we're all about selling the documentary and not becoming a football club, a successful football club, getting back in the league. So for, for me that, that stems off, obviously, sorry to go a bit off subject, but who made the decision to release this, the players that got released and then how much decision has, has the manager got or how much policy has he got, which I don't know. And I think we'll soon find out, but I think it's unfair. I don't think anyone would like to wait like that. Just when you were saying about it um, being a circus, really, I mean, did you did you feel like that was what the situation was like with the documentary and various things going on? Well... It, it, it's hard. I, 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 was, I, was in the, I was in the mix of it. I was, so, I, I was in the fire and we had cameras following us around 24-7. You, you had to watch your P's and Q's. You had to watch what you said. Your banter, everything was limited. And even like changing it before games and stuff like that, you, you had to watch everything you said. And you couldn't be yourself. And it, it was almost like you were acting without being an actor. And... I don't know, did it make people go into the shells? I certainly, I didn't go into my shell, but I sort of second-guessed everything I, 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 I done because if I was to say something, uh, that could hinder my career in years to come or my ability to get a job in years to come. And I was thinking to myself, you know what, I'm not putting myself out there. And I don't know about anyone else, how they felt, but that was the whole feeling of it. And I used to come in to do a, a team talk, the camera used to be in your face and you were thinking, I can't say nothing and no one would say nothing. So it, it does become, 
although you say you, you, you get on with it, you, you don't. You know, it's there subconsciously. It's always playing on your mind. That makes perfect sense. I mean, the only thing that we can hope for as Wrexham fans is, yeah, there was that period where we didn't have a manager. And so some decisions were made that, you know, maybe in, that wouldn't have got made if Phil Parkinson was there. But now they've employed a manager like Phil Parkinson. We've just got to hope that it's his show, that, you know, yeah. the players, he'll be buying the players he wants. I, I, I totally agree on you. And I hope that is the case because there's nothing worse than a manager, obviously, Phil Parkinson at the time, dealing with someone else's players. You, you want to be judged on the way you play and the, pay, the players you pick. Because ultimately, if they're not his players and he wants to play a certain way, his head's on the chopping board and they're not his players and it's not his style of play. So I hope I hope it is his and the assistant's choice and they do very well because some of the signs he made, Paul Warren especially, he'll score your goals. Uh, I hope he does very well. Just before we go on to the next sort of um, swathe of questions, can you give us a bit more on, on Mullin? Because obviously the guy you know well, I t- you probably played with him at Tranmere. What what can he bring to the to, to Wrexham? Mulls, he's a oh, he's a great character, great lad around the place, all, always buzzing, always happy. But Mulls didn't get a fair fair crack of the whip at Tranmere because we had we had Norwood and Cookie at the time. They were just banging goals in for fun. He would have to something special to dislodge them too. They were on fire every week. When he did play, he'd work his absolute socks off. We, he'd chase Chris Packets. He'd do everything for you. He'd close everyone down. Uh, he'd be a nuisance, basically. But then, come training, give the kid the ball, and he'll stick it in the back of the net. Possibly one of the best finishers I've seen. And, obviously, you've only got to see at Cambridge last season. He was, he was just scoring goals for fun. So, hopefully, he can replicate that now. Next question is from Mark Oliver, who says, who was the best player you played with in your first spell and who was who impressed you in the second spell? First spell? See, there's a few. It, it, depend, it depends. I could, I could go through a lot of them for, for different reasons, but it depends what you want. Player I love playing with? Two, there was two. Dean Keats, because he sat in behind me, done everything. He basically controlled me. And probably in my first two seasons, that's why I was I was probably as good as I was because I know I had the protection behind me. Uh, also, Lee Farley, like we just bounced off each other. I'd do everything, and Lee Farley do the complete opposite. We were just as a pair, we had everything, uh, and obviously he was a right laugh as well. So I'd, I'd probably say Keaty and, and, and Fars were probably the best two players I've played with. And I'm just going on my position here because I could, I could talk about Jake Spate and Danny Wright, but from my position and what helped me, I'd say Lee Farley and, and Keaty. To, to be honest, that's probably one of the best midfield threes I can remember. Um, you know, non-league or all-league, you know, it, it had a bit of everything. Yeah. Um, so, so on to the second spell. I might, I mean, we might want to talk a little bit more about uh, Jordan Davis, but later. But you know, who sort of really impressed you in the second spell? I'm just trying to, to think now. Uh, from when when I first come when we, we were towards the bottom, we, we had a kid on loan, uh, Tom Tomo from Coventry, Jordan Thompson, JT. Oh, the full oh right. Um, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the full-back centre-half, I thought. He really impressed me when he came. 
Uh, and we supposedly be getting him back for whatever reason we didn't get him back the season after. But from an outside point of view, he, he was really good. I thought he, he'd do really well. But Jordan Davis and Luke Young for me, like obviously I, I played with both of them. Uh, I played against Youngie for, for years, but both really good. And I think Jordan's got age on his side as well. So I'd have to say Jordan Davis, just with the potential he has. I just, just hopefully it doesn't, it doesn't fizzle out. Uh, and like I, I was lucky when I was young, I had Dean Keats behind me. Uh, Youngie's not so much of a talker, but he'll lead by example. I just hope to get someone in that will help Jordan along the way and and keep him grounded. And I just don't want too much emphasis on Jordan, otherwise he either sinks or or more swims with it. Uh, but ability-wise and attitude, Jordan is unbelievable. Jay, how how far do you think do you think Jordan could go if if, if everything goes right for him? If he keeps improving, you know, if he if he keeps listening, how far do you think he can go? Well, it, he he can go. We see. Obviously, he's he's obviously he's a, he's a Welsh lad, isn't he? So, who's to say he can't get in the Welsh setup? Because we've had look at Danny Ward. When I played with Danny for the first time round, I'd never thought he'd go and play in golf for Wales. But the kid's got ability. And I think I wouldn't want to say Jordan's going to go here or here or there, but he has the potential to go as far as he wants. He's got the ability, he's got the attitude, he's got age on his side. He's a Welsh lad. When you go into the Welsh setup or an international setup, all more career paths open up. Uh, he just needs to learn his game. And he needs to just keep consistent. He needs to, to, to his consistency needs to stay at that level. And I remember having a conversation with Jordan. He was he was fuming that all the shots weren't going in. And I was like, Jordan, you're not going to score every one, mate. Otherwise, you'd be in the Premier League. Just focus on it and that target, and we'll take it from there. And then before you know it, he scores a hat at Halifax. So he, he is learning. It's not as if he's not learning. He's learning, but. As I say, with Jordan, it's, it's a shorter, slow and steady. Let's just get him games first and, and get in the men's game because I think that was his first full season. So I don't want everyone to put too much emphasis on Jordan because we, we've seen it before with previous players. We, we just want Jordan to play well for the club and let's let's take it one step at a time with him. You having credit for that hat-trick then? Oh, no. No, no. <laughs> that, was all, that was all Jordan. Listen, they, they were... Three fantastic goals. You, you can't teach that. He, a strike from the edge of the box. He took one round the goalie. He, he deserved all the plaudits, Jordan. And I was so happy it happened for him. I don't. I didn't actually play that game. <laughs> this is the last question from the fans. Um, I, I think the lads might have a few more for you. But the last question from the fans is from Wales Metro. <laughs> and he asks, what's the magic formula to winning this league, Jay? How are smaller part-time clubs able to be more successful than Wrexham? When you say small part-time clubs, like I, a lot of people say, uh, say for Sutton, for instance, or the part-time or whatever, part-time can play into your hands because you, you're doing your work job and football is your release from life. Whereas when you're full-time, your life's your release from football because football is your daily basis. There's, there's so much pressures that come with it. And at these levels, we haven't got all the money in the world to just dismiss problems. So if you've got a problem at home, it comes into your football world because you're every day. And part-time, majority of the time, part-time players will enjoy it more 
because it's like going to play five side with your mates. And for me, at this level, it's it's a it's a tight knit group that'll get you 30, 40 points a season. Obviously, add your ability and a goal scorer in that. And I'll always say it, apart from your first season or two, Wrexham have missed a goal scorer. Have they added that in Paul Mullen? I hope so. If you've got a goal scorer, you look at Sutton, they've got a couple of goal scorers there. All previous winners, they always have people that will score 20 goals plus. You need a goal scorer and you need a group of lads that are willing to work hard for each other. And, and I think it is as simple as that. Getting that gel and the goal scorer is... That is the problem. That's the hard, that's the hard part. That's up to the managers to do. And I think under Dean Saunders, we had that in abundance. Just that fleet with that Jamie Vardy and uh, unlimited checkbook. We've got a bit of a quick fire round. We asked the guests the same one. Off the top of your head, of your two spells in Wrexham, who is the most skillful player? Skillful, uh, Blakey, Glenn Little all day. Right. To be fair, yeah. Siz, Sizovic had a little bit, but after the time he was too quick and he ran it out of play, but a Glenn Little ability-wise and skill-wise, it's got to be Glenn. It's a popular, popular decision for, for Liam. He loves Glenn Little. Um, yeah. Right, this also might be Glenn. Who was the worst dress? Oh, Brett Ormerod. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Brett Ormerod. Give us an idea of it. Oh, of my idea. God. Picture the 70s in the 20s. He used to come, a baggy, baggy checkered orange and blue shirt, like a lumberjack, with jeans. I swear down, I could have got in, in one of his legs. That's how flared they were. And then like a battered pair of trainees. And it's just like, you're a millionaire. Brett, go and get, go and buy something. Nah. And he'd come in and it'd be like, it'd be Gucci. But it was the worst Gucci. I think he'd made one and switched the machine off. Honest to God, that's the stuff he bought. But it, 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 he knew it though as well. I think half the time he just done it for banter, but probably him or Mozzie from the same neck of the woods wore the same bad great gear. <laughs> Who was the biggest moaner? Oh, jeez. Uh, Neil Ashton. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus yeah. Christ. Oh, my God. You could, you could give Ashy Wright a million quid and he'd say it's not folded properly. He'd moan at it. Yeah. He was just constant. I used to travel in with him on a daily basis. I used to room with him and it was just, it was like having a wife. It was like, I was like, oh, Ashy, shut up, mate, you're doing me head in now. Honestly, he was, but it was it was good fun. I was like, moaning again, moaning again. This is shit, that shit. I'm like, Ashy, glad you're in the conference, shut up. But he was a good laugh, Ashy, to be fair. Next question, who was the most underrated, the player that you thought didn't really get the plaudits they deserved? <sighs> Jake Spate. Oh, interesting. Because Jake obviously had Danny, we had Pogs, but Jake had everything and he was so, his work rate, he was so unselfish, his runs, his work rate, he'd help you. Quiet lad, but on the pitch, he was an animal, an absolute beast. And I think Jake, Jake laid me off a couple of times for goals and he was so unselfish. Team player, Jake's up there with one of the best. I, I, I used to love Jake. I used to love playing with him. But and when it was time to work, listen, he went to work. He he, he was brilliant, Jake. Did it surprise you a little bit if he became an agent after? You say he's quite a quiet lad. Uh, 
I say quiet lad, I mean, I, we had good characters in there, and it was just maybe he, he was overawed by the people in there, like Joe Clark, me, Yossin Maibi, Ashi, Kitty, Gaz Taylor, Blakey. I, I don't, I don't know, but he can probably talk the talk, and he's a he's a good lad. He knows his stuff as well. So no, it doesn't surprise me. No. Right. Last question: a quick fire round. Who is the tightest with money? It'd probably have to be Brett or Glenn Little. It'd probably have to be one of them two. Glenn Little, I, I used to go to the casino with Glenn Little. You probably don't mind me saying this. And uh, we used to go to the Leo Casino in Liverpool. May says Johnny Hunt, uh, Danny Wright and, uh, and, and Blakey. Wouldn't buy anyone a drink or nothing. But he was throwing 20s about like they were going out of fashion. 20 on number 10, number 7. And he used to, obviously his number was number 7. So you'd just hear from across the casino, Glenn Little. <laughs> and what, number 7 had come in, he'd had 20 or 40 quid on it. And you'd just be like, oh, Blakey. But yeah, when it comes to betting, he's flush. When it comes to buying someone a drink, no chance. Everybody sees you as this sort of tough tackling sort of midfielder with the customary yellow card which is obviously a bit of a joke but you know it does happen um, <laughs> I just wanted to know who the toughest player is that you've come up against because you know it's easy for us to focus on you as this, as this, as this tough midfielder but is there any player in particular where you thought Jesus Christ I've got a proper battle on my hands early doors here is there anybody that, that stands out for you? As in a, as in a battle as in a uh... Is it hard to play against or is it like a tough tackler? Both. Is there, is there anything that, that, that really sticks out for you that, where you just think, shit, I'm going to work You know what? A- early days, even though we used to turn them over, Gated, I used to hate playing against Gated. They had John Oster, who would just beat you just with his football and brain alone. Mm. And then it was Phil Turnbull. I think uh, was it was Phil, Phil Turnbull and, and, his, and his brother. It was incredible. Well, Phil Turnbull went obviously went to I think he's at Stockport now. Tough tackler in your face constantly. It was horrible to play against. Uh, I'm trying to think from from the Wrexham days because don't forget as bad as it sounds, we were the team to beat. We mm-hmm. we were the pinnacle. Uh, the the Luton team. Uh, what was the, the? I'm trying to think. Godfrey Pocku, right, centre mid, big lad, strong, run all day, be in your face. Ability wise, he was okay. He was never going to beat you football and brain, but he'd beat you because he'd run on you, he'd smash you, and he, he was probably one of one of the hardest to play against. Godfrey Pocku, yeah. But football wise, it'd have to be John Oster. He, he was he was incredible. Yeah, so he played for Wales as well, didn't he, back in the day? Yeah, yes, he was some talented. The only other one I kind of that that really sort of pings off the top of my head again, going back to the whole yellow card caution situation. Did you ever have any sort of weird or wonderful um exchanges with the referees? Was there any referees that you thought, hang on, you can't say that? I just I'm just curious as to whether these referees. Because we see them and they're, they're at a particularly poor level, it's fair to say. But I'm just wondering if there's, if there's any that, that have come in and you thought, you know what, he's just given as good as he's got. You, you know what, right? There's a lot of them you can have banter with. Obviously, when I was when I was younger, the first part in your career, and, and 
I used to just be a complete hothead and it was just, I hated referees. That's the way it was. As I've obviously matured and learned the game, I, I speak to them a lot more and I feel like I've got a, a good relationship with them. But we used to have this one ref, I don't know, you go and Google him, Wayne Basney. I'll never forget him. He sent me off four times. He was a prick. <laughs> <laughs> right. Ask, ask, you probably, uh, probably, I think, I think we had to report them at one, one stage. I think it was on the Mozzie. Because uh, Keats here, then we played in the game, can't remember who it was. And uh, before the game, obviously, you get the team sheet and it was the ref. And I was like, for sake, it's Wayne again. He'd sent me off three times prior. So we were playing the game and uh, someone, someone smashed me. So I'd had a go at him, saying like that's a yellow card. So then I've tackled someone else and uh, he's given me a yellow card, which probably deserved the yellow card, knowing it's me. But uh, And then about 10 minutes later, he ran past me. Go on, go on, Jake, go make a tackle so I can send you off. And I'm thinking to myself, you cheeky little... And... Uh, and, and Kitty, we ended up reporting him and Mozzie reported him and he never uh, he never ref me under me time on the ref he never ref me again and uh, I think it was at Macclesfield and he turns up to referee me and I'm thinking I'm getting sent off I'm going here I haven't even done nothing but to be fair he was uh, he's, he's sad and weirdly enough he didn't actually book me and he was uh, we got on quite well but he was the one I used to just see his name and think oh, here we go early back for me how bizarre, intriguing stuff. Thanks. Yeah. I think we might have to get the bleep button out for the first ever time. Yeah, sorry about that. That's how much I hated them. <laughs> I can feel it, yeah. <laughs> Who was the um, best manager you, you played under at Wrexham? It'd have to go just Dean Saunders, just on one, his character, two, his attention to detail. And... Three, just the success we had under him. And, and obviously, I'd love to give Mozza the, plum, the, the plaudits for it, but we had a structure in place which carried over into Mozza's era and Mozza just kept it, kept that going, tweaked it a little bit with Billy and it was just all in place for him. And and I just, there was only one way we were going with Mozza. Obviously, we, we'd done well under Mozza. Obviously, the first belly was there. And I think I'd have to say Dean Saunders by, yeah. It's a bit of a weird one because I think because he's got a bit of an ego, I think sometimes people can get distracted by that. But from what we've heard from yourself and others on this podcast, it does seem like in terms of the players, that's who they really rated in terms. Was there anything, any examples, anything in particular that he did that you thought that's what made him sort of a cut above? <laughs> Were you set? I don't know whether anyone saw this, right? The, the good thing about Saunders, right, is ability was unbelievable. So, and what he couldn't get his head around is, is, so we've done a training session once, and obviously I told him, okay, this is throwing. And uh, I think it was Danny or Jake, and they like, put the ball in the back of the net off the throw, working on this throwing, long throw, throw, I think Jake's missed the tag or whatever, and Saunders is like, Curtis, throw the ball in. So he threw the ball in, volley, top corner. And he just turns around and goes, how can you not do that? And I think to myself, this player's wanting confidence players to do what Premier League players does. And he's like, Curtis, do it again. Throw the ball in. Volley. Same place. And you're thinking, this fella's something special. But he wouldn't, even though he knew you couldn't do it, he wouldn't settle for you not doing it. So his, his expectation, that, I think that's what drove us that high. His standards were that high. He drove us closer to, to maximum potential with everyone. And you've probably seen that 
in some of the players that played. And just um, one more for me. Obviously, you're quite close to um, Dean, but do you think do you think he really had a fair crack at the whip under the new ownership? And was he was he ever really likely to be kept on once there was a new regime? No, never getting kept on. Uh, there was a couple of reasons why. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take obviously me, me, me friends' heads off here now. One when Dean left for Warsaw, which as a career point of view. He, he had to. Uh, I don't think many of the fans liked that, which everyone's entitled to their opinion. He come back, they probably didn't think it was the right appointment at the time. He then uh, inherited a squad, which, let's have it right, no good. Uh, then worked magic with them because he sort of turned it around a little bit, brought a few players in alone, obviously, i.e. one myself. We stayed up. Then over the summer, he had plays he possibly still didn't want, which ate into his budget. Did he could he go and get the plays he wanted? I'm not convinced because uh, I know a few of them. Uh, then I know things. He was promised things and he never they never come off. Uh, he was promised things from people above when obviously the new owners coming that didn't come off. But listen, that, that's just part of the journey. And and if if the owners want to go a different way, they go a different way. And I think the documentary. And I say it all along, I said it when I was at the pub, and I'll, and I'll say it now. Are you going to watch a documentary that everything's plain sailing and everything goes to plan? So you need to get rid of players, you need to get rid of staff, you need controversy, because that's what sells. And that is my worry for the club. I hope it's not, touch wood, that the documentary is going to take the forefront and the football is going to be second to it. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I'll just go back to Dean now. I think with a budget... That's gone out now. I think he would have been unbelievable because one, the players understood him. He was respected as a player and as a manager just because of his career. And I think with different players and his own players, I think it would have been a different story. What do you, what do you think's next for Dean as a manager, but also yourself as a player? D- Dean as a manager, obviously he's, he's got to wait for the right thing to come along. Uh, for me, he probably... <laughs> He probably should have walked when we were in the playoffs from the club, obviously knowing everything what was going on. For me, he should have, he should have walked and been in the playoffs and, and left the club because it was inevitable he was going to go. Uh, and then he could have held his head held high. Uh, he still can because he turned it around from the previous season. You can look at it as, as, a, as a positive or a negative. Positive being he, he improved the squad and the, and the club. Negative being he didn't get them promoted and we missed out on the playoffs last game of the season. So it's whichever spin you put on it, it's in the eyes of the beholder. Myself, I'm actually going through rehab at the moment with an injury, which, Jesus Christ, uh, was misdiagnosed. I actually, I got injured at Yeovil when we won 3-0. I was diagnosed with a dead leg. Uh, And then we got beat the next game at Notts County at home. And then we won 3-2 away, luckily enough, at Boreham Wood. Keatsies rang me saying, Jay, I need you in the team. I need you to play. We're playing Kings Lynn. I played Kings Lynn for 70 minutes in agony, should I say, right? So then, th- th- as, it, as it's gone on this season, I, I'm not saying it. He's like, I need you to play, dagging him away, saying, Keatsie, one, I can't because of my leg, and two, there's no contact put on the table. If I go and end my career, I dag him away because I'm in pain. I'm done. 
I said, I'm 34, I'm done. I said, I'm looking after myself now. I said, because loyalty goes both ways. I'll run through brick walls for you, but if you're not going to pay me back, and he was like, out of my hands, which I thought, fair enough. So I didn't play a dagger in my way. So obviously the season's ended. I thought, I'm not right. Went for a scan. Are you ready for this list? I've got a 12-centimetre tear in my abductor, a 5-centimetre tear in my groin tendon, 5-centimetre tear hematoma, a 13-centimetre by 2.5 diameter myotosis calcification in my, uh, in my abductor muscle. So I've basically been inactive for 14 weeks, going through shockwave treatment. Uh, I'm on. I'll actually show you. These are my, these are my fucking tablets I'm taking for six months just to stop the growth. Otherwise, obviously, I'm done. So when people say, question my ability to and my, my, my love for the club, I played with a tw- I played with a twelve centimetre tear in my quad, and obviously you could probably notice that when I played against King Lynn, King's Lynn, I couldn't run, but I was doing it for the love of the club and to get us where we need to be. Luckily enough, we won the game. I think it was five three, uh, but that's where we we're at, and, and I've just seen Kwame get to contact because he's injured. I didn't even get a how are you when I left the club. Only that I rang the club to say I'm injured and you've misdiagnosed me. That is the only contact. No one knows I'm injured, which is, this is the scary thing. So I, I'm without a club now, and I'm going through a process of, of trying to get myself back right, which I'm hoping will be in the next week or two. That is quite a list there. I don't know what yeah. every one of these injuries is, but it does not sound nice at all. Uh, I'm, I'm, more, I'm more concerned. It's, I mean, we, we focus. It's easy for us to focus on all the positives that have been happening in the club. The people in this group are aware of some negatives that are coming from it for, for, for a cross-section of reasons. I find it a little bit um, concerning that, you know, if it, like you, you mentioned about the documentary and yes, it's, it's got to look good to a certain extent and yes, there's going to be peaks and troughs with management going and players coming and going. But given your service over two spells, you're shown the door and thanks, bye, see you later. And and that's is it fair to say that from what you've just said there that there's an element of disrespect shown to you by the club? Listen, when I say the club, I don't mean the club. I mean, yeah, but certain people. Yeah, listen, Jeremy Parry, he has bent over backwards for me and done every impossible. Right, Howell, the club doctor. I'm in. I'm on speaking terms with them too. They have done every impossible for me. And only because, not only because, they would have done it anyway. I spoke to them and told them the circumstances. And that, that's brilliant. And, and I respect everything they've done. The club as a whole, unbelievable. Cannot listen to every club at its downside, every business at the downside. But it was just a case of the phone, the phone call was inevitable. And it, once, once Dean went, I knew I'm going. Just because how close he was. Uh, that might not have been the reason, but yeah, hey, oh. uh, but to just phone me, it wasn't even like, how are you? How was the injury? It was just, yeah, thanks for your service. See you later. You need anything, give us a call. And I'm just like, you know what? Do I want to be a part of that? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But f- for me, it was more the fact of like, it wasn't even, 
And then it, when I actually got back straight to the club, I was like, well, I'm injured. What are you going to do? I've done it, doing duties for you. And I put my body on the line, possibly career ending, yeah, considering my age. Hmm. But we haven't got a physio. So, so <laughs> you're just going to leave me to, to rot? And, and the club, I don't even know if the club still have got a physio, but that, that was the boat I was in. And knowing the club, it's frustrating me more than anything because I was thinking, how, how's this happening? And obviously there's a changeover in place and listen, it'll all be right come the start of the season. But at that, that little bit of golf, I was like, what is going on? And I was thinking of, of me more than anything. I was being, oh, maybe it's selfish because obviously it's my career on the line. I was thinking, where do I go from here now? Like, uh, but as I say, getting Paddy has been unbelievable for me and the, and the doctor Hal. But uh, in terms of me, it's just a case of getting myself ready now and then whatever my next step is, who knows? Yes. So who was it making those decisions and, and making those calls? Is it is it Les Reed? Is it Sean Harvey? It, it was actually Sean Harvey. Les Reed weren't there at the time. He got announced afterwards. So it was, it was Sean Harvey making the calls. I was, I was made aware that they were doing it on... On data, I, I, I don't know. That's all I was being told. Doing it on data, uh, but you, you're looking at the data, and you got obviously I'm talking about me now. Let's say you got Jay Harris played 40 games, and he has them consistently for the last 15 years. Or you've got a lad, let's just say like Jabs or Poch that played, and, and I'm not digging them up by the way, but played say 10, 15 games in the season. What are you basing your data on? And I've always said data is circumstantial and it, and, it, and it fits how you want it to fit. If you want it a certain way, you make it fit that way to make your decision. Uh, but I'm just just for the record, I'm not, it was just thinking of Jazz and Potter, the two unbelievable players and two unbelievable lads, and they've got great careers ahead of them. I was just picking them to because they were fresh in my mind. I'm not, I'm not having to go at them. So just can I, can I just ask what what it you say you you sort of you, you you've got a bit of time to sort of recuperate what what's it like for an unattached player what access to physios and drugs do you do you have like to to help you with this I've got a couple of mates but obviously to to be fair when I spoke to Garen Paddy uh, I spoke to the PFA as well obviously about the the scenario because uh, at the time I was, I was so angry and frustrated that I just sort of been left to rot type thing and when I spoke to Gerent he was like listen go and, go and get your physio and I'll, I'll, I'll sort of foot the bill thing so on on his part unbelievable and obviously the, the club obviously are paying the club are actually paying for my physio at the minute and it's, I can't thank them enough so I'm going through that I've got the doctor all my tablets everything going through shockwave treatment which is all paid for by the club uh, the club don't have to do it but they should do it because obviously it's I'd done it at the club. If I was at the club, you would have to pay for it anyway. But as I say, being unattached and, and the club paying for it still through Garant, uh, it is unbelievable for me and, and, and I'm, I can't thank them enough. No, that's, that's good to hear because I was definitely getting a bit concerned, like what Tim yeah. said, about the way. But I mean, is it just do you think that it is a it is a transition because it does seem a little bit chaotic, All over the place. so to speak? Yeah, yeah well, you've got to bear in mind the owners that have come in, uh, Ryan and Rob, no, no knowledge or background on, on this sort of thing. Leslie and Sean Harvey have got the background. Uh, let them take charge. What they do is entirely up to them. But as you say, it is a transition period where 
new stuff's getting implemented and old people are going, old regimes, all stuff like that. So there is going to be the little bit of a void in between where there is going to be this type of, of mishap, say like me, for instance, or no physio, or there is going to be that gap. And that's not a criticism. That is just, that's business at the end of the day. And, and that's the way it works. That happens in every walk of life. I'm not just saying it's Wrexham Football Club. It, it's everyone. I mean, thinking further ahead, do you, do you want to move into coaching? Do you want to move into management? Is that something you'd like to explore? No. I've, all, I've always said it from day one. Uh, coaching, I've seen the rat race. I've seen... To be in, on that side of the fence, I just don't know whether I can do it. I don't know whether I could deal with people like players like me on a daily basis. <laughs> uh, would there be a good coach manager? Who knows? I did do a bit at Samir on the 15s and we done really well and the kids loved me. Uh, but I just I just don't think it's for me, to be honest with you. Especially at this moment in time, no. If, let's say, for instance, Keaty or Moza come to me and said, do you want to be my number two or a coach? I'd probably consider it then. But as of right now, no, not for me. But we have we have like um, a section called our sort of fearless in devotion moment. It's the moment, like a single moment that made you the most proud to, to play for Wrexham. Is there anything off the top of your head you sort of think, yeah, you know, like a part in a match or a goal or something you went, yeah, this this is, you know, I, this makes me feel sort of really proud? You know what? There's a lot, there's a lot of them, but I just have to go back to the Wembley just because being up there and lifting that Sofia, I still remember I'm still next to Stephen Wright, who's a good mate of mine, and, and we, we still are. And that was my first bit of silverware. And it was like, I remember Billy Barr saying to me, I've never seen so much joy and an emotion in your face. And it was because it was a bit of everything. It was like, you know what, here we are. We're, we've been so close previously. And I think we had 40,000 fans or something go down there and to share it with them. And it, it was it was incredible. I think that, that has to be the defining moment for me at, at Wrexham. And that, that was one of the best moments, yeah. Thanks very much, Jay Harris. I'm sure we all uh, all agree that that was pretty insightful from uh, from a live wire midfielder. Um, we won't tell you what he said to us after, but let's just say Aberystwyth was all it was all it was cracked up to be. Yes, yes. We, we, I think we, we, I reckon he would come back on and disclose everything he said off the record at some stage. Um, one thing that maybe won't mind us disclosing here is that there are well, we'll say unnamed players that are currently on Wrexham's books that have been in touch with Jay Harris and asked him if he would come back. I'm sure he wouldn't mind us letting people know about that. Um, so, yeah, is he... <laughs> I'd love to know what people's thoughts are on it. Would you have kept him? Are you not asked? He's gone, given our uh, our financial resources. But, you know, as it currently stands, would you rather Jay Harris in in the team yesterday? i probably say yes, if I'm honest. But you two? I've, I think Jay Harris gives you a lot more off the pitch as well as on it. Um, so, yeah, it would be interesting. I, I wonder if that, that door is closed now they've signed David Jones. Do they need to, you know, 30-something midfielders who, who you probably look to come on and tie up a game when needed? Um, but, you know, a fully fit Jay Harris is, is you know, it, it's a good option to have for any team. 
especially if you're going for uh, for promotion because he's a winner. True enough, true enough. But there we are. Say the V, onwards and upwards. Right, and finally, the final bit, the predictions. Now, obviously, uh, Liam Randall lost this last season and with a home game coming up, there is a there's a forfeit in the ranks. Now, now this is going to be strange for Liam because he's after going to have to sell the fanzine on that Monday night. And I just want to underline again that our new edition of Fearless in Devotion, 48 full-color pages, has been out for the last couple of weeks now. It's been selling like hotcakes, and I think me and Tim managed to shift a few away at, uh, away at Solihull yesterday. But Tim and Liam will be out selling again before the Notts County game. Liam dressed head to toe in a Chester kit, I've heard, with Chester FC tattooed on his forehead. Liam, this is correct, isn't it? I'm going to be deceased in devotion if you make me go ahead with this, to be honest. Um, Whichever whichever way we look at it, I mean, Liam's getting a thrashing and then we're losing a box of fanzines somewhere, aren't we? (laughs) My garage is full. (laughs) Right. Mm. Okay. Well, anyway, it's a good start for Liam Randall this round of the predictions because Liam is the only person who predicted a draw me, Reese, and Tim all went for a Wrexham away win and is an egg on our faces. But I would just like to point out, I was three minutes away from being correct. So surely an extra bonus point for me. No, could have, would have, should okay. Three of us are dickheads this week. That's just the way it is. Um, right. The normally morose Reese Williams isn't here for his for his predicted losses um we will get reese's predictions from him when he when he actually uh, emerges from that basement but until then we will go with our predictions and what we'll do is we'll tweet out reese's predictions from the phyllis in devotion twitter page he can tweet out his own well you can retweet them tim yes, exactly. and then everyone is happy so liam do you want to go first because you're on a roll you've got eastleigh and you've got Knox county to predict I'm just uh, absolutely over the moon at the minute, to be honest, after that start. You're not so. a manager, Liam. Just just give us your <laughs> predictions. <laughs> well, um, as you just said there, Andy. Um, no, I think easily I'm going to go for a, a 2-1 win to us. I never really have much thought process behind any of these predictions, to be honest. So yeah, I'm we not know. pretend that I do. <laughs> and... Um, Notts County one. I mean, they gave Barnet an absolute thrashing, didn't they? On Saturday, I saw that um, Barnet weren't much much cop to be fair, but I'm gonna get, I'm gonna have to go for a draw again. Go one all. Wow, interesting. Um, Tim, would you like to uh, go next? Oh right, I'm gonna go for a cheeky two nil win at Eastleigh. Have they played yet? Because I'm looking for the result and I can't see him having played. Uh... I can't tell you that. I can't find them on the results from yesterday, unless I'm being stupid. Anyway, I'll go for a cheeky 2-0 win because we're going to have some some new reinforcements by then. Notts County, uh, I don't know what to do. I kind of want to say, yeah, you know, it's a big kind of homecoming for everybody. It's going to be a massive sellout under the lights, on telly. We traditionally we crap on the telly. So... I'll go one each for that one, I think. I'd love us to win it, but I think it'll be one each. 
Right, I'm going to swap that round a little bit. I'm going to go for a draw at Eastleigh. I think it's going to be one each. And then I'm going to have us to take a, a tub-thumping 3-1 victory over Notts County. Oh, in front of a packed, a packed and feverant race course. We're going to see the boys home. We'll have a couple of new bodies in by then, as Tim says. And we'll be too much for Ian Buckton's... What's this guy's called? Yeah, Burford... The one who looks like one of the old nurses from Casualty. I can't forget his name. He's dead tall. I'll be in bloody Casualty, so I won't see any of them much. <laughs> <laughs> you watched well, it from the safety of your hospital bed. Yeah. <laughs> with with the Ian, whatever his name is, looking after you, Liam. Yes, right, that's it for today. Thank you very much for listening once again. We've got another good guest lined up for you uh, next week. Uh, we won't tell you who it is, but it's a Wales international who played for Wrexham. So that narrows it down to Steve Evans. No, it's not Steve Evans. <laughs> but anyway, thanks very much for listening and we'll join you next week. Cheers, everyone. Yeah, See don't you. forget about the fanzine. Please grab one. Please come and get one. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>